Before you can refer to your sheet, I want by way of introduction just to talk about the Holy Spirit a bit, because in order for us to be a prophetic people, we need to both understand the Holy Spirit's presence and power within us, but also to understand how to listen to and respond to the Holy Spirit as well. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. If I said nothing else today, that should be profound enough (laughs) for people to ponder on for a while. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. The way he described it was, I only do that which I see the Father doing and say that which I hear the Father say. That is deeply profound. And if we are going to follow Christ faithfully, you know, all of our lives builds to this type of relationship with God where we too can say, I only do what I see the Father doing and say what I hear the Father saying. That's the trajectory, if you like, of where our lives are heading in God. And the only way we can really get there is if we learn how to be sensitive to this person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, the breath of God. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he is God. Okay, let's get that one straight nailed. He is as equally God as the other two members of the Trinity. There is no um, hierarchy that I can see in the Godhead. They are three in one, a divine (coughs) mystery And, you know, when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I believe the Holy Spirit could say exactly the same. And the Father could say exactly the same of the Spirit and of the Son, because they are one. Three distincts in one, some kind of holy mystery that we declare by faith, and yet never really fully understand this side of the veil. It's, you know, I am me, okay? In three parts, spirit, soul, and body. A divine mystery. The real me is looking out at you through these eye holes. But you can't see the real me. You can only really experience the real me. My soul, my spirit. But it's manifested through this body. Three parts in one. That's kind of a little bit of a mirror of how perhaps the the Godhead works. Because we're created in his image. (laughs) It's really important that. But... It is a divine mystery. We proclaim it by faith and we understand it in part. And we will fully understand it as we get to know the Holy Spirit, this side of the veil, and certainly know it fully when we cross. (laughs) Glory to God. So, in your Bibles, John 14, verses 15 to 18. This is what Jesus says of the Holy Spirit. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. This is really important. So Jesus is talking about the the gift of the Holy Spirit that will be given at Pentecost. We experience the Holy Spirit for the first time when we 
proclaim our faith in God and, and are born again of his spirit. But I want you to notice in verse 18 that Jesus himself says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So again, the Holy Spirit is synonymous with Jesus because as far as Jesus is concerned, when the Spirit of God comes and abides, he himself also comes and abides. And the Father comes and abides, three and one, all within us, within our spirit, when we are born again. Verse 23 of the same chapter says, uh, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, plural, will come to him and make our home with him. Again, plural. The Holy Spirit is God. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is not ours to command. We don't rub a magic genie Bible and out pops the Holy Spirit and does our bidding. He is God. And he is to be afforded the very same reverence that we would afford the Father and the Son. And he will not be manipulated by our efforts, good, bad or ugly. He is just as much moved by compassion as Jesus is, motivated by love as Jesus is, and eager for us to know him as Jesus is. And a good way that I perhaps, I just want to paint this metaphor for you of how I see the Holy Spirit. If you imagine that you guys, where you're sat right now, each have an instrument or a part of a great orchestra. The Holy Spirit would be the conductor. He would be the one standing here with his baton. And each in turn he would point. And he would say, play. And in front of you you'd have your music. The music may be the sound of heaven. I don't know the... The, the, uh, the anthem of the Lamb. And we see our music in front of us, but we have our eyes on the conductor. And we're waiting for that baton to point. And when he points, that's when we move. Okay? And that's really important because, you know, oftentimes we're, we're, it's almost like we want to shake heaven and get the Holy Spirit to do stuff for us. And we, we want to get up here, don't we? We want to be the ones in the conducting seat. You know, God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're there. This is my prayer. Now you do. You perform. You know, and, and, and I've listened to prayers like that. And I've done prayers like that. God, do, God, don't you know what you're doing? Surely you know that what I want for everybody is the best thing. You'd be a fool not to do it, God. And I, you know what, I just... Let's get out of the conducting seat or, or the, next to the, uh, the stand there. Let him raise his baton and we need to learn to be at the ready. Just the point. Conductor. I just love the way the conductors do it. This is a great metaphor. Okay, This may not be fact the way that it is in real life, but this is a good metaphor. Okay, Like all metaphors, it's a picture. Okay, But when the conductor raises his baton like this, Okay, the, the, the dynamic changes, they play a little more strongly. When it gets more emotive, then this little pizzy is just wow. You know what? You can learn a lot by watching a conductor and how they conduct an orchestra. So, in my experience, I would be confident to say that the Holy Spirit responds to invitation. We can and should invite the Holy Spirit to lead to guide, to minister comfort, to reveal Christ to us and in us and through us. 
But what we should desire most of all when we encounter the Holy Spirit is that it is his bidding that is done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what kind of things does the Holy Spirit do? Well, again, we'll turn to scripture and look. John 14 verse 26, stay in the same chapter. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, you'll hear things from the heart of the Father, through Scripture. Oftentimes the Holy Spirit speaks, speaks through Scripture. Do you know that the, the living word that is powerful, that's able to divide between soul and spirit, joints and marrow is the word that the Holy Spirit illuminates to you at that moment. That's the living word in that moment. I'm sure you can all testify of a bit where you've read in, you know, a passage in the, in the scriptures or heard it being preached and all of a sudden, boom, a light goes on and something dramatically changes in, in your view, your outlook, your thinking. Something shifts. <coughs> That's an example of the living word, that the Holy Spirit himself revealing something to you by his Spirit. So John 15, 26 also says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So in that passage there, he's referring to the disciples about being with me from the beginning. But this principle of him testifying of Jesus and um, him, uh, the Holy Spirit giving us power to be witnesses of Christ is again a role of the Holy Spirit. John 16, so 14, 15 and 16, lots of John today. Verse 7, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's role is again to convict the world of sin, the sin of unbelief. You don't have to go very far from verse 8 to see that it is the sin because they do not believe in me, spelt out for us. But he also convicts the world of righteousness. I, when I looked into the exegesis of this, uh, what I read was um, that the, the, this is a passage that speaks about the vindication of Jesus' life in his death, burial and resurrection and his ascension because he went to the Father and they saw him no more. So what he was speaking of is because I do this act, you can know that I am in right standing with my Father and the things that I have said to you are just and are true. Okay? And then uh, in verse uh, 11 of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit convicts the world that the former usurper the ruler of this world stands judged Hallelujah. that he is no longer Lord, Come on. but there is a living Lord and his name is Jesus. And we as a church have a part to play in this because we are agents through which the kingdom, the rule and reign of God manifests. Absolutely. 
If we are silent, if we sit down and do nothing, the kingdom of God does not go through us into this world. The rule and reign of Christ does not extend. So the church become the arms and legs of the living Lord to do that which he commands by his spirit. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you because you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So he's going to speak what he hears, and he's going to reveal things to come okay so how does this relate to being a prophetic people well god the holy spirit is speaking and he's declaring the things that he hears from the father and from the lord jesus and he's actively wanting to declare those things to you and i this is a prophetic act hearing and speaking is a prophetic act. But even more than that, a prophetic people are a people that are sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit, not only to hear and declare what they're hearing, but also in act, in deed as well. Let me tell you, loving your neighbour is one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare that you will ever perform. You can stand here bawling and squalling and shouting and declaring. But if you go out there and demonstrate the love of God, you would would have been far more prophetic and far more spiritually in warfare against the powers of darkness than you ever will within the four walls of this church. So our prophetic stance, if you like, should always be indeed in word and indeed in both to be prophetic in word only is to miss the third dimension if you like of life imagine a 2d versus a 3d image okay deeds are like the the going out into that declares the reality of a life lived with god and we have that scripture in james don't we that faith without works is dead You know, that is a challenging verse. Yeah. I get really challenged by that verse. I don't know whether you do as well. But to understand that my faith doesn't stand on its own. It is demonstrated through that which I put into practice. So you see lots of prophetic acts in scripture. The shaking off of the dust of your feet was a prophetic act. Another one, that one of the ones that I like the most, is when Jesus entered the town on a donkey. You see, commanders of armies would come in on a war horse. <clears throat> when Jesus entered the city, and the crowd was saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were ready to coronate him. They wanted him to be the Messiah, the warrior Messiah that would kick out the Romans. And bring about Israel on top again. Let's make Israel great again. Was what they were really crying. 
And instead he turns away from the coronation seat, the palace, and turns towards the temple. And then clears it out. Calling them dens of thieves and robbers. Again, another prophetic act. Driving out the impurity from the temple. Driving out the animals from the temple. Making the temple once again a house of prayer for all. Not just for some. These were deeply prophetic acts. Not just words. And I think Christ on the cross is perhaps the greatest prophetic act of all time. With his outstretched arms, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So if we want to become a prophetic people, we need to learn sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, but also how to put that, what he says, what he's commanding, into action. Amen? Amen. So three things that are required for this. Number one, perhaps the most obvious, is that we must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we must continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. This is uh, John the Baptist speaking. I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is Jesus speaking. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And of course then we go on to read in Acts how the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost. How they all had these tongues of fire lighting on them and they spoke in different tongues. And we understand from scripture that the gift of tongues is a sign of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's not the only sign, but it is a sign. So if you want to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you need to be being filled. There's no shortcut to that. It's just what it is. How do we get filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, we ask and we receive. It doesn't get much more simple than that. But there are a couple of things that I think we need to be aware of. Um, James 4 says you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss. Again, coming back to what I said earlier, the Holy Spirit is not there as your personal tool for your glory or for whatever it is that you want in life. And should you desire the Holy Spirit like that, you'd be no better than Simon the sorcerer who wanted to purchase the Holy Spirit from Peter and Paul and whoever else. I can't remember now who it was. I think it was, it was Paul, wasn't it? Um, you're there for him as much as he is there for you. But you know, he's our comforter, he's our guide, he's, 
He's the, the paraclete of God. He's the one that comes and indwells. You know, he's supposed to be intimately. Uh, in, we're supposed to be intimately in relationship with him. But you know what? He's still God. And we still are to do what he asks and commands. No, no way around that. So Jesus' desire was always to send the Spirit of God to indwell believers through salvation and then empower believers through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is the fulfilment of the prophecies given about how God would work in and through his people. Acts 1.8, and you will receive power to be witnesses after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we need to ask, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit also empowers us to become Christ-like. The Holy Spirit is a great agent of change in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to love our enemy. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to conquer sin. It's the Holy Spirit within us that transforms us from dead works to a new and living way. All the work of the Holy Spirit. And the end result is Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is probably one of my favourite verses. That the whole point of life is that we become Christ-like. That's it. That is our end destination. Christ-likeness. <laughs> I love it. So, I want to leave you with this part of um, what I'm going to say today, with this verse. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil now, to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, the Holy Spirit is a gift from God to us that we ask for and receive. That you don't have to do spiritual gymnastics or calisthenics or whatever to receive Him. You don't have to have three hallelujahs followed by a praise chorus to get in the mood for the Holy Spirit. He is there, ready, hovering, brooding over you. <laughs> Just like at the first in creation. And the Holy Spirit can be that present for you. That when we ask, Father, fill me with your Spirit, boom, we are filled. So that's the first thing that we need to, uh, that are required in order to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The second one is this, we must learn how to quieten our souls. This is probably the hardest thing that we'll ever learn to do in modern day living there are so many distractions. Entertainment, technology, you name it. It's there now as an instant fix, an instant gratification to the flesh. Now these things can be useful in and of themselves at times. You know, who hasn't benefited from sending and receiving an email or having a phone to be able to phone somebody when you're out and about? But they can also be such a distraction. I remember um, in youth church, they did a, a talk, uh, Ellie was talking about it the other day. 
and uh, they were talking about technology use. And each of the youth were challenged to reveal on their phones, on screen time, how long they'd had their phone on and was active that day. And for most of the youth, the time spent on their phone that day, and this was at 11 o'clock, was between three and four hours. And the average over the last week per day was over five hours. Now, for our Ellie, it was 50 minutes, because she's just not bothered about her phone at all. She's really strange like that. <laughs> I thank God for that, really. But it is... What's going on over there? <laughs> Distraction. <laughs> so, you know, th- these, these things can cause us to become dull of hearing to the voice that we really need to be listening to. I think this is the point. There are so many voices in this world. There's the voice of the enemy, but there's also the voice of the critic, the voice of the world, (laughs) the voice of the, you know, authority figures that have spoken to us in our past mean and horrible things, and all of a sudden, pipe up in in our conscience. And we need to learn how to phase those out and tune into, like a radio, to the Holy Spirit's frequency. And it takes practice. This is not something you learn in two minutes flat. But it's something that you you can become so trained in that at a, a blink of an eye you are in tune with what God is wanting to do and say in a situation. And, and you can become just ultra-usable by the Lord. Imagine walking down the street and as you're walking, God's giving you info about the people that are passing. Amen. Pray for that person who's got a dodgy back or pray for that person there. They're having a struggle in their marriage or whatever. What a testimony that would be. Amen. Instead, if you're anything like me, you walk down the street going, you know, la, 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 in your own dream world... And like the Holy Spirit's kind of knock, 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 knock. I'm standing at the door knocking. You can let me in. I'm not now. I'm on my lunch. (laughs) Come on. Psalm 131 verse 2. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. I love that. There's nothing more quiet and still than a child who's asleep in their mother's arms. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Have you ever been so in the depth of the presence of the Holy Spirit that you feel like you know and are being known? That everything's almost as if it was naked and unashamed before him. You know, that's the kind of depth of relationship that we need in order to be really sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And you know... uh, 
I'm still a work in progress on this one, and but that's the direction that, that I'm going in. I hope you're going in too, towards that level of sensitivity. And I do know that from you know from my own personal experience, just how powerfully God's manifested presence moves upon us when we're still enough to know. It's it's transformative. You come out of those experiences different than when you went in. You know, that last prayer meeting that we had, the corporate prayer meeting, that time of stillness that we had was just, it, there was a, 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 you know, coming back to Jimmy's <coughs> terminology, a kabod of weightiness, a glory from God that we experienced. And, and when the Holy Spirit's moving like that, you just don't want to say anything. You don't have to say anything. Something's just happening. And, and you come out of that experience different somehow. It's difficult to describe unless you've experienced it. But if you have experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> you're, just, you're just different somehow. So we must learn to be still. But stillness isn't simple silence. You can be silent and definitely not still. Right? We need to learn to be still physically, emotionally and mentally. Stillness means the absence of noise and distractions. A complete focus upon the presence of the living Lord. And I've experienced revelation, peace, comfort, empowerment, vision, just prophetic pictures, all sorts. And even breakthroughs in those times of stillness. So, we're going to do a little bit of an exercise on stillness in a bit. Not quite yet. But I reckon this will be quite a challenge. Third thing. So the first was we must receive and be baptised in the Holy Spirit, continually filled by the Holy Spirit. The second, we must learn to quieten our souls. The third, we must be motivated by love. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13. The famous love passage. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. Thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's worth noting that this chapter comes directly at the end of a chapter on spiritual gifts and prophecy. The last verse says, and now I will show you a more excellent way. It's really important that we understand that the gifts of God do not in any way uh, usurp the love of God. Do not usurp the dictates of love by which we're called to walk. To love is the greatest thing. To be loved is the greatest thing. And to demonstrate that love is the greatest thing. So, on to your notes. That was the intro. <laughs> We'll just quickly go through some of these things. So, these scriptures are there to reinforce this need for us to be proactive in seeking the Holy Spirit. Okay? And seeking his empowerment in our lives. I'm not going to read them. You've got them in your notes. You can read them in your own time. Uh, but I want to talk about uh, the hindrances to this. Okay? Passivity being one of them. Okay? It is so easy to take for granted the Holy Spirit that we end up becoming passive to his voice and to his leading. It's like uh, if you've got a relationship with a spouse that you become almost so familiar that you begin to take them for granted. This is one of the things that I think dulls us in our responsiveness to, to God. And we must guard against it. You know, He calls us first and foremost... To, you know, to that first love, does he not? Hallelujah. To be in love with Jesus just it trumps everything of, of the gifts of God and, and anything else in the spiritual life. So let us not become passive in our relationship with God, taking him and his presence for granted. Hallelujah. That would be a huge hindrance to you being sensitive <clears throat> to his leading. And the second one is that we need to recognise that we can stir ourselves up in the gifts of God. Now, this is not working yourself into a frenzy. Okay? We're not talking about trying to perfect in the flesh that which is of the spirit. That never works. So again, it's not a quick step followed by a waltz. That's not going to work in this. Okay, It has to be by... Uh, meditating and focusing upon God that somehow we begin to once again cultivate within ourselves this expectation of hearing from and responding to the Holy Spirit. That's what stirring up means. Otherwise it becomes a soul energy type frenzy that produces nothing of lasting fruit. And we need to be careful as charismatics that we don't go down that route. Of it being all soul and not spirit. 
you will never perfect in the flesh that which is born of the Spirit, ever. And God will not, um, you know, it will not validate the things of the flesh <laughs> with eternal fruit. It just ain't going to happen. So we must learn how to sit with, waiting upon the Lord. I will wait upon the Lord. And my strength will be what? Renewed. And I will soar on the wings of? Yeah. By what? Waiting? Yes. That's it. That's how you stir up. Almost sounds paradoxical, doesn't it? To stir up by waiting. Hang on. I always get pictures of this massive pot that I'm supposed to put loads of effort into and and eventually this mixture will start to to become more fluid. But I I don't think it's like that at all. I think it's a deep, deep knowing that just sits and waits. And in that posture of waiting, we are filled and refilled and overflowing. And somehow it's like we're renewed again. Like the battery charger is going overdrive and we are ready to go. Mm. Hallelujah. I want to share a testimony about another hindrance. This one's fear. Anyone been afraid when it comes to the prophetic? This was back in my court old days, so I was a 20-something Fairly new in the Lord, but very, very feisty and zealous for God. There was this guy who worked there, another young lad, a student, called Dave. And Dave um, and I got into a conversation about God. And his philosophy was, the only reason that I serve God is because it makes me feel good. Everything that we do is because it makes us feel good, was his bottom line philosophy. So I would talk about how, you know, I felt that God was wanting me to share something with, uh, you know, money with a person over there and I'll do that. And he would say, yeah, but the reason you did it was because it made you feel good. That was his bottom line. So I said to him, right, I'm going to listen to God for you and I'm going to get something from God. And then I'm going to, I'm going to show you that God is real. So I went away and I prayed. I took about a week. I got pages full of stuff. Comes time to deliver. I totally chickened out. (laughs) Totally chickened out. I would avoid him in the corridors. I I would avoid him everywhere. Literally, I just, you know. (laughs) There's my file. And... um, I have no idea to this day whether those words were accurate or not. I never did share them with him. Never. It's one of those spiritual regrets that I've got. The if only. But you know what? Looking back on that, it was a valuable lesson for me. That I, I had, you know what I was, I, I believe that what I actually got for him was of God. When I look back and read those things, there's things in there that I couldn't have possibly known. But fear held me back. And I have no idea whether that man's life would have been transformed if I would have said those things or not. I'll never know. I hope to God that I wasn't his only encounter to be. And I kind of have to kind of bear the, the regret of that. 
but you know, I know that in God I'm forgiving, all that kind of stuff. That's not a problem now. But it's just an example, a testimony of how fear can hold us back from being perhaps the answer, the illumination, the light in a situation. <laughs> May it not be with us. Come on. So I think one of the deepest calls to the church in this day and age is to courage. Isn't it? We have the power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of us. And we're too afraid to say boo to a goose half of the time. But, you know, when, when we step out of the boat, it's the only way we're going to walk on the water, isn't it? So don't let fear hold you back like it did me. Okay, that's all I'm going to teach on today. Nice, tidy 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah, go on, Jim. It's just there. When Tino and I were praying a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were getting deep and spiritual, and, uh, and we were just finishing off in prayer, and Alexa on his phone said, I'm sorry, but I don't recognise that. <laughs> <laughs> and we just, it was like a good uh, analogy, really, of uh, the Holy Spirit or the spirit of Alexa. Because yeah. there is so many, there's so much knowledge, isn't it, coming this way, so yeah. much information. <laughs> so much facts and what are truths but not true and we've got to break out of that spirit of Alexa and, and break into this truth, capital T which is possibly counterculture that might not be recognised and I, I just thought it was brilliant I, I laughed for a, a long time yeah. just <laughs> when she said I'm sorry but I don't recognise that because I, we were praying in the Holy Ghost and uh, but there's something that has helped me in this uh, being baptised or filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you who said this, and I've said this upstairs many times probably. This guy said, we need to be a drop away from being drunk. And again, that's scriptural, isn't it? You know, that when on the day of Pentecost, the, the disciples were criticised of being intoxicated. Well, I like the word intoxication, to be honest with you. I do like a glass of wine, but not to that point. But the, it says in Ephesians, uh, be filled with the Spirit, uh, but don't be drunk with wine, which, wherein is excess. But sometimes we do take such a long time to get giddy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we do need the, the waltz and the, the twist and the fast ones and the slow ones and the prophecy and the picture and... By the time quarter past 12 comes and we're getting ready to go home, we're just about getting the, the nose, if you will, and, and, the, and the palate of the Holy Ghost. We're just about getting a flavour and a taste and we want more and then it's Monday. And then we hang on like limpets onto the rock again because the tide has gone out. Does that make sense? Is that terrible? Is that terrible if that's us? And so, I've honestly, I heard that years ago and it's helped me a lot. I... I am a drop away from being drunk all of the time. I drive my car safe. I interact with people. I go shopping and I don't go ask for a shirt in tongues. I say, I'll have the shirt, please. And, and I'm normal and, and not flaky. But there's, there's something in me that I know I can just almost just turn aside and close my eyes for a second and think about him. And I'm no great shakes. I've not landed. But I just know... I've just practiced and practiced and practiced yeah, being a drop it. away from being drunk because I keep being filled. And, and, and you know, 
And I know when you're dry. We used to, uh, I can't encourage you enough to just stay filled and recognise when you are filled. And it, and it is for me. I come, we, we have a group on a Monday and I stand there and I say to everybody, I say, listen, we're going to do some praise and worship. Sing it like you mean it. Yeah. Every yeah. single week I say, sing it like you mean it. There's no one else in the room. And I stand there and I go, I'm, I'm away for slates. And, and that's good because if we don't practice that, we just, we just become sober so much of the day. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I was going to read Psalm 63. Let me read this. Tommy Tenney wrote a book years ago. It was the flavour of the month. And it was called God Chasers. And, he, and it's, it, there's this paradox, what Tina was talking about, about being at rest and yet being stirred up. Mm. And it's a mystery. It's like, it's like hypocrisy almost, but it's not. Psalm 63, verses 1 to 8 says this, O God, you are my God, earnestly will I seek you. My inner self thirsts for you. My flesh longs and is faint for you. What language is this? What language is this? This is just pure poetry of love, isn't it? It's besottedness. It's swooning. It's God. I love it. in a dry and weary, where, where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. So I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My whole being, my whole being will be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Listen to this. My soul, my sorry, my whole being follows hard after you and clings closely to you. Your right hand upholds me. What kind of a verse is that? God chases. You know, we prayed earlier on, Tino, and, 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 and you know, there's a, we criticise, we critique, don't we? We don't criticise. Don't criticise. Maybe we do. Well, I critique the meetings. I don't criticise the meetings. But yeah, I criticise them sometimes. When you go to a meeting, a gathering of people, you can, you, you know, you, I've heard people saying, well, God really wasn't there. And then others chip in with this as, as the scriptural policeman, where, where two or three are gathered, he's in the midst. Is that right? Has anybody ever been to a meeting where it's been as dry crackers and you couldn't feel the presence of God? So you know the difference, don't you? So there's this resting, but there's this following hard after. You know what I said last week about this hunger? Hunger, obedience, humility. Hunger, obedience, humility. If we don't foster and nurture this hunger of following hard after God, I guarantee you won't make it. How bold is that? You won't make it. You won't make it because there's too much opposition coming this way. There's too much of the flesh and the world and the devil and the spirit of Alexa coming this way that we won't break through. Jesus would never have reached Jerusalem if he hadn't have set his face like flint. Okay, so let's do some practical So this is a hard one. So on your sheets, you will see under prayer and practicing your assignment. It says, let's be still before the Lord and enjoy his presence for a time. Find a spot to get comfortable. 
Use the time to offload worries, cares, thoughts, burdens, etc. at the feet of Jesus. At the end of the time, each of you should feed back on what happened in that time. For example, how difficult was it? Were you able to engage with the Lord? Or did it take too long to get to the, no- the noise out and quiet your heart? Did the Lord speak to you? If so, feel free to share it. So, you do this on your own to start with, but then I want you to sort of gather in your rows, as it were, and just feed back after about, we'll probably do it for about 15 minutes, okay? Get comfy. I will prod those that are snoring. (laughs) 